Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Today's episode is with Greg Morris. If you've been on eBay for very long, bought cards, especially vintage cards, you may have run into Greg Morris cards. Talk to Greg. I had a nice visit with him. He had helped one of my good friends sell some of his vintage cards. We talked about the hobby. He's been around and obviously big business. Thanks to sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media. Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, Greg, and thanks, listeners. And here's our conversation. You have a well-deserved, well-established niche. And I'm not even sure you have direct competitors for exactly what you do. I'm sure you have direct competitors for buying collections. But a third-party consignment with condition sensitivity of vintage cards, who do you consider that you compete with? I don't think there's anybody who quite does it in the volume for raw cards. For graded cards, there's plenty. That's exactly what I was saying, is that it's the road less traveled nowadays because you don't get maximum price for cards if you don't grade them. That's the thought, except that people are worried about, are they authentic? Have they been altered? Uh, what's the real condition of it? And if you're providing that assurance based on your very positive feedback and skill that you've trained to get accurate grading and representation of these cards, then you're able to move a lot of cards, I'm guessing. Whereas other people, there's just friction and hesitancy to bid on something when it's ungraded. Yeah, it's very difficult. <laughs> That's why this niche is probably not very attractive. It's not easy. Up until a couple of years ago, I graded every single card myself. And for whatever reason, I guess I have very quick processing speed. I could grade 1,500 cards an hour and do it accurately. Not perfectly. Nobody's perfect. But looking at the card for about a second and a half and get 98% grading accuracy. And the challenge is finding people not only that they can grade and know the grading standards, but that they can also do it quickly enough because the fees that we earn and just the structure that we have, if we were making $25 per card, yeah, I could find people. And I think at PSA, if somebody does a thousand cards per day, you know, that's considered pretty good. It wouldn't work here. But you're not training them to grade toward a number. You're trying to grade toward a verbal two or three word or initials, abbreviations, description of is this VG, is it X, is it near mint, is it mint? You're not saying it's a seven or a six or a five. We give ourselves wide boundaries. So it's eight or better, a seven, five to six, three to four, or does the card have a crease? Is it just really bad, which we'll call filler? So we're not going X mint plus and a six. That would just be, it's just not, it's just not possible. The other thing is we have a very liberal return policy. A small segment of people take advantage of it. But our return rate on vintage is fractions of a percent. No, but my point is that you can do that because I think your grading is not liberal. Your grading is reasonably conservative, that you're not trying yeah. to grade to trick anybody, and that's your reputation. No. And so you should no. make a lot of returns. I'd be more worried about the buyer that's sending something back, claiming it was overgraded. I'm, again, mistakes can be made. And most yeah. of all your business is vintage, but how do you define vintage? It's arbitrary, 1975 and earlier, sometimes 1980 and earlier. 
What's funny is in my mind, I started collecting the first time I bought packs as a kid was 1981. So something in my mind, 1980s vintage, everything 81 and after is modern and everything before that is vintage. Yeah, but it's arbitrary, but somewhere in the mid to late 70s and earlier is vintage. The modern business has been much more challenging for us. Are you going after it that much? I thought you were mainly staying with vintage or you just have people... Stuff. Vintage, we do. There's a few issues with vintage. About 50% of what we sell is consignment. About 50% are things that we buy. We do have people here who do purchases private. Most of the purchases are done by me, either on eBay or at auction houses. It's hard for me to describe how I do it based essentially on intuition. Um, I figured that I've probably graded 13 million cards. I'm not as on top of looking at prices as I used to be. But at this point, my intuition allows me to just know. The modern business, I don't know. And this is something that I thought would be very interesting to talk to you since your background is in statistics. Modern parts, because number one, for my people, the listing of it is hard because there's so many cards with so many variations. But when I have to rely on comps and not intuition, those comps I have found are not just off, they're way off. They can be, and they can be off in a sinister way. That's part of the issue when you look on eBay, and like the people at eBay very much, and I've gotten to know a lot of them. Sometimes I get frustrated with them, but one of the things I think is a huge mistake is that they will display completed sales regardless of whether somebody pays or not. It incentivizes people who own that particular card or have some interest in that card to artificially inflate the price or to use it as a way to artificially make people believe the card is more valuable than what it is. How many of those points are bogus data points and how many of them are legit? Unless they're my data points, I have no idea. No, but I mean, eBay knows if somebody didn't pay, right? Correct. They know. But for some reason, my guess is that it's just a legacy system. Like for them to go in and now change how they display completed listings would be so onerous for them from a technological standpoint to code. And they're always worried the butterfly effect. They make a little change over here. And then the next day, the auctions go down. I have not been able to figure out how to buy modern successfully. I'll put up my ability to buy vintage against anybody, but my track record buying modern is pretty lousy. We just have not been able to figure out how to do it. We do get some modern consignment, which is again with the titles, but the buying, it's on my list of things to try to learn. But as I've gotten older, my desire to learn things is kind of diminished. I have a lane. You have a lane. Everybody should have a lane. If you think you have no boundaries and you can do anything and everything, you're going to be a master of none, I think. You clearly have expertise that's built over many years. But like I said, if somebody sends you a collection and you buy it and 10% of it's modern and 90% is vintage, you're happy, but you still have to transact that 10%. And it, yeah, 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 and that's fine. Vintage, where even if they don't have a card by card listing of vintage, you instantly know less than a second and knowing what something is with the newer cards. Not only looking up for comps, you almost have to look them up for what it is. Yeah, it's just not my thing. But again, there's a solution out there. I haven't found it. I've tried using people who, as buyers, to mostly buy it on eBay. 
Um, we've been very successful buying vintage cards on eBay and reselling it. I think the dynamics of it is that we have a, a very strong following, and I think people are willing to pay a premium to feel comfortable. They can buy something for $75 from us. They know they can get it for 50 somewhere else, but they'll pay the $25 because they know that 99% of the time it's going to be right and we're going to make things easy for them. The modern cards, because you don't have the condition component, I think that premium is not there. You don't need as much knowledge. If it's a very expensive card and it's graded, well, then you've got the graded comps. Generally, if it's raw, unless it's very new, right, fresh out of the pack immediately, it's maybe not as valuable. You don't see extra valuable cards that are ungraded at this point if they're new. They just are encapsulated. Yeah. When you're going on eBay or working the treasure chest lots that uh, Huggins and Scott has, things like that, do you have some preferred sellers when you're on ebay do you have some people that you follow or track that are that come up with this stuff and parcel it out in a way that you think i've made money from this guy's group of cards before uh, are you just scanning the whole of ebay and if it looks good I'm, pull the trigger it is very unscientific <laughs> this is why again it's been challenging for me to teach people how to do this when we buy from huggins and scott and rea we buy a lot and i don't think i could even tell you like what it is I'm looking for. To answer your question about people on eBay, there are some good sellers and there's bad sellers. But when we've tried to classify and say, okay, this guy sent us a bad batch of overgraded cards and okay, we're not going to buy from this person anymore. You can't do that either because it also could be that he's really not, or she is not really a bad seller. They're just not informed. They're doing their best to try to grade it accurately. But the next time they may get some really beautiful stuff and say that it's X-Mint when it's when they're really near mint. But yet I also don't have the time. We have software that allows me to put in two, 3,000 bids a day on eBay. I don't have time to sit there and enlarge the image and look at it and read all the descriptions. I can't. So it's just remembering the names, knowing where issues can come up. But as I try to tell the people I work with, when I lose small and when I win big, if I buy a thousand cards, I may lose on 700 of them but I'm losing small and I may win on 300, but I'm winning big. So all I care about is the net. I have no insight. I could go and look and see how each one did, but as long as I know I'm up overall, I'm happy with that. In different words, I've said the same thing. Is that when I buy a collection, the only issue is whether I'm going to win small or win big. Am I going to do pretty good or really good? Yeah. I rarely do stupendous but I almost never lose. I just don't do that great. And I'm also struck by how when I started my business, it was very expert driven and I did everything. And as it grew, I had to delegate, had to train, had to somewhat systematize, but still it goes back to what you were saying. And what I did, I think is that there's a lot of knowledge that you build up and it's hard to train somebody you can't clone yourself, Greg, but you can train people to do some things. But your field that you developed over decades, that I've developed over decades, it's not easily transferable. Otherwise, everybody be doing it. Finally, I feel like I have a really good team here, but it's very hard to find talent. People who have enough knowledge where they can really contribute. What's interesting now with all of the money that poured into this business a few years ago there were a lot of people who came in, and I'm not talking about anybody specifically, but who had maybe a lot of business expertise or had a track record in business, but 
thought they can just come into baseball cards and treat it like any other business and buy and sell. And yeah, when things are great, sure, everybody makes money. But now a lot of those companies are suffering because don't they just didn't have the experience. And you just have to have those people. It's actually the opposite of what they think. They think if they can run a normal business, then they could easily run a card business. And it's the opposite. If you could run a successful card business with tens of millions of SKUs <laughs> in different grades, different player sets, years, all that stuff, then you can run any other business. It's the most difficult business. Yeah. If you can solve this quirky hobby slash business, then I won't say you could do anything, but almost anything is easier compared to what we're doing. The prices are changing all the time. You're dealing with professionals and amateurs, and you're being undercut by your customers. Yeah, I'm wondering if you've been in a situation where you're looking to buy a collection from somebody, and maybe it's a walk-up, not just an eBay contact, but somebody has a collection, and you make them an offer, and they say, no, that's not enough. Do you flip the script a little bit and say, if you really want that much for it, let us sell it on consignment for you because you can't get that much. I might be able to get that much with some work. Are you interested in me maximizing your net proceeds? Because if you sell on eBay, I can get more, even accounting for my fees. Yeah, that happens all the time. I feel like I'm a great buyer online when I'm in front of somebody because usually I want to make everybody happy. So I lose myself. So I, I let my two lead guys, I let them take care of it. But that happens all the time where people just want too high of a price. And then we try to explain to them, look, it, we can't tell you that we're going to get you that price. We're going to do our best. But with the price that we get, we are very confident that at the market right now, you're doing what's in your best interest. The man!